Elizabeth and I watched a film last night. Um, tell you, you don't need to go into any of these film programs. Just come to the church and you'll hear my commendations. Although the last one I commended, one couple, dear couple, who very faithfully watched it said, it was a wee bit racier and stronger than I, you know, that you had mentioned. This one is not. It's called Yesterday. It's actually a load of rubbish. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Yes. It's, it's a complete nonsense in many ways. This guy, this... Um, wannabe singer-songwriter, who's actually got a quite nice voice, but really, you know, is getting nowhere, is involved in an accident. There's a freak global thing. I mean, the more as I tell you, the more I think, what a lot of rubbish. There's a freak global event, and suddenly, from memory, from the internet, from, from the shelves of record shops, there still are record shops, by the way, they're actually come back in vogue again, everything, then the music of the Beatles has disappeared, completely disappeared. Apart from the fact, apart from two wee souls from Liverpool, apart from that, he's the only guy, the singer-songwriter, that can remember the songs of Ringo and Paul and George and all the rest of them. And the story is that he, Verticomus, rediscovers the songs and sings them and becomes practically overnight a global star as this you song, these you songs written 60 years ago, suddenly find an impact on the contemporary world and with the media and all the rest of it and the global streaming and everything else, overnight he becomes a global star. And Ed Shearer, isn't it? Yes, he gets a part in the film and he kind of goes along with him and Ed decreases and this guy increases in his global fame. It all seems a lot of nonsense. It's actually really quite nice. It was quite a nice film. Do you like it, Moya? Well, see, Moya liked it, so there we are. There was nothing too racy or strong in it. There definitely wasn't. And you get nice music. But actually, it brought home to me how easily, especially in a world where we hear so much and are made aware of so much, how easily we become jaundiced. We become apathetic. We become switched off. We've seen so much. Even if we don't go to places, we can see things portrayed in HD and 4D and all the rest of it and hear the sounds of our world, we become so saturated with so much stuff that it becomes water off a duck's back and it no longer has impact. I wonder this morning if in some freak, God-given freak, if we were gathered in this church for whatever reason you've come, I don't know, and you'd never heard of the gospel, that people had never heard of Jesus, that that whole segment of history had somehow been erased from the memory. And let's be honest, in reality, that is the state for the vast majority of people in Britain today. Erased from their memory and their knowledge. I wonder what we actually would hear. I wonder what kind of impact it would make. Not an impact concerning a church or an institution or a series of philosophical statements, or even a way of living. But Jesus, in all his glory and mercy and might and power, I wonder. I had lunch on Friday in a rather, not a very great place, at the Gile Centre. Go to Edinburgh. That's what you get. You don't even get a proper restaurant to have a meal in the South Gile. We had to eat in one of these food courts. And Elizabeth will know, and you know, and the thought of, you know, I'm just not, and John Fairfield with me, he's even worse. <laughs> and so it really wasn't a nice setting. But we sat there with our pre packed toasted sandwiches, sort of. 
And we were talking away about how this period of challenge, and we, we all had to say, well, it's all right for John, he is retired. But the rest of us, other two of us, had to say that there is an attraction to retirement. And we got speaking as to what, how someone might be encouraged and refreshed. And David Court, the, the minister friend, a very fine servant of God that we were having lunch with, reminded us the story of Gypsy Smith, an evangelist. Some of you may have heard of Gypsy Smith, an evangelist way, way back at the beginning of the last century, who was a gypsy, was converted when he was a teenager from all the background, a bit like Stephen Longu, from a, from a terrible background, and yet was used mightily by God to preach to tens of thousands of people, particularly here in the United States. And well into his 80s, he actually died on the Queen Mary, 87, going over to America to speak at a Christian conference. But on that journey, or one very near towards the end, he was asked what kept him going. And he just looked at the person who asked him and very quietly said, it's just the wonder of it all. He hadn't lost the wonder of God's grace. And the apostle Paul here is someone who is like that. Here he is writing possibly in the midst of his trials when he was in Jerusalem. When we saw last Sunday, he went back to Jerusalem. He told the elders in Ephesus at the end of his last missionary journey that he was to return to Jerusalem and he knew what was going to happen to him. There would be trials and persecutions. He returned to Jerusalem and all sorts of different things happened to him. And maybe he's writing this letter from Jerusalem. He, is, he knows that he's getting, in one sense, towards the end of his pilgrimage as a follower of Jesus. And yet, as you read this letter, these opening verses, it's full of passion full of enthusiasm, full of wonder, the privilege of being a servant of God, a follower of Jesus, and that this gospel, this good news is, as we'll refer to in a few minutes, the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. Notice in these verses, open your Bibles if you have them in front of you, these verses we just read earlier. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith has been reported all over the world. I who constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may part to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you in order that I might have a harvest among you. I am obligated, verse 14, both to Greeks and non-Greeks, Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, and that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Here's someone who's passionate about Jesus, and who's passionate in sharing the knowledge of Jesus with Rome, with that center of the empire, bringing in, as we said last Sunday, God's word to bear in the very heart of power. Some of you may have watched, and if not, again, comment, tell you, you don't even need the Radio Times, just listen to me and I'll tell you what to watch. I commend you another program, you'll get that in iPlayer. Last week, last weekend, it was shown, we watched Liz my during the week, on Hill Songs. Some of you may have, the song we sang right at the beginning, is a Hill Songs one from the 1990s. Now, I'm going to first of all say, there are concerns, there are reservations about it, but let's be honest, as I say to folk, if you ever think you find the perfect church, don't you bother going into it, because as soon as you go into it, it'll cease to be perfect. 
but a church which has had a global impact, impact on all sorts of people. Watch the program. It's an hour and a half, but still Storyville and BBC4. I commend it to you. Very stirring to see people who had no contact with the gospel. And we walk past churches like this thinking we were the abode of the dead, not of the lie. And yet God in his mercy through the power of the gospel reached them. And one of the emphases, which perhaps could be misunderstood, and I appreciate that, but rightly one of their emphases is that the calling of the church is to speak into power, to bring the gospel to bear to those who are in power, to the heart and the soul of a nation, and therefore God to raise up people who will be able to do that in the media and the arts. This week in our devotionals, we've been thinking about that, praying about the Daniel, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the heart of Babylonian power and how they bore witness to God in the midst of the fire and the flames. God's mission for the world. And Paul was passionate about that because he had certain convictions about the gospel. Verse 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. A number of years ago, and I mentioned, I've used this illustration before, but if it's good to use once, it's good to use again. A number of years ago, as you know, we were involved, and then Karen was involved more than I was, in providing a listening ear at the grammar school. There's certainly be plenty of demand for that, but imagine now, with all sorts of problems going on. But I had a case of, of a younger girl who had actually, as many years ago, you don't know the person, things have moved on. But she had got friendly, thankfully only friendly, with a boy in the year above her at school. And that friendliness, that connection had been alerted, had alerted family members alert and it turned out the person that she felt drawn to in the year above her the boy she felt drawn to the year above her was actually her half brother it all came out that her father had a second family and had so for years and the connection that she had was a filial connection with this lad because he had had a, a partner and children I'm sure Graham working with the school and others have come across similar complex situations. And you can just imagine the impact that had on that young girl. And as she shared her concerns, and of course the devastating impact it had on her mother and the, and the family circle. And she shared that. And here's somebody again with no church background or anything, but here's somebody who shared that with me. And she looked at me, she says, you know, minister, she says, I just don't think that's right. And of course, you're supposed to be very careful what you say. Well, that's probably one of the reasons I'm not very good at any of these situations because I would say, well, you're quite right. It's no right. That longing in the human heart for things to be right. That's why, of course, we do appreciate the beauty of creation. It stirs our hearts as we see things that are right, that are good, that are beautiful. And it stirs our hearts. It does that because we're created in the image of God. And we see that. That's also why it stirs our hearts that things aren't right when we see people's needs, people mistreated, injustice and cruelty, and that stirs our spirit. Not just Christian people, there's many decent folk out there who feel equally passionate about that which is right and that which is wrong. All part of what it means to be made in the image of God. And ultimately it finds its source 
in our desire to be right with God. People may well not recognize that. They may not understand that. They may not acknowledge that. And there may be a whole host of things that would actually go against that and try to remove that from the human soul and remove that desire from the human spirit, especially in our contemporary age. And we'll look upon that in the next couple of Sundays as we go on in this chapter. But nonetheless, there is that longing To know the creator God walking with us in the garden at the cool of the day. And so when the Bible talks about righteousness, it isn't primal. And that's not a word that's always easy for us to understand. I appreciate that as a spiritual word. But it speaks not primarily about doing right things, but rather being in a right relationship with our creator sitting comfortably with our God. And the gospel, the good news, Paul tells us in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Interesting enough, I looked up a dictionary, not a Christian dictionary, just a normal dictionary, but of an older age. And this is what the dictionary defined righteousness, the coming into spiritual reconciliation with God by means of the righteousness of Christ being imputed to a human in consequence of faith. Let me read that to you again. The coming into a spiritual reconciliation with God by means of the righteousness of Christ being imputed to a human in consequence of faith. You may remember last Sunday when we made reference in the first letter of John, how John testifies to the word of life we have seen and we've touched in the first letter of John, first first chapter. And then he goes on to say in chapter 2, my dear children, I write this so that you will not sin, but anyone does sin. We have an advocate with the Father, and the idea of the advocate is somebody who stands between us and the judge and pleads our cause and intercedes between us and the judge. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Paul, in his testimony to the leaders in Jerusalem when he was persecuted, gave the testimony of his conversion, Acts chapter 22. There's three stories of Paul's conversion, the one that happened at the time, and then twice later on in the book of Acts, he tells us a bit more. And interesting enough, in that conversion story, when Ananias comes to see him, as he's speaking to the crowd in Jerusalem who are baying for his blood and just looking for a chance to kill him and to get rid of him, this is what he says. When Ananias comes to him, Ananias says, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be witnesses to all people of what you have seen and heard. And it was Paul's conviction that in Jesus we see both God made flesh, the righteousness, the purity, the holiness, the very nature of God is revealed to us. But because of who Jesus is and because of what he has done on the cross, we too can be at home. We can be right with God. As we'll see in the next couple of Sundays, people in their desire to be right with God turn to all sorts of things that are destructive and damaging and lead them on a road to hell. 
But the Jesus who said, I am the way to God, I am the very life of God, I am the embodiment of the truth of God, he, the righteous one, makes it possible as we trust in him to be right with God. And as you shall see over the next couple of Sundays, that is a crying need in our contemporary society. For in the gospel, we're told, the righteousness of God is revealed. Later on in the book of Romans, if you want to flick on, Paul expands on that in a big debate, which is very complicated and all the rest of it. But nonetheless, in that debate with Jewish people who think the way to get right with God is ticking the boxes and doing the right things and wearing the right kind of clothes and saying the right kind of words, i.e. human religion, that's the way to get right with God. Paul, using the Old Testament itself, tells us that that's certainly not the way to God. It's actually the very way from God. Romans 3 and verse 10. As it is written, quoting from the Psalms, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. And he goes on to expand on that. Their throats are open graves. Verse 13, their tongues practice deceit. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And using the Old Testament, he makes a statement about the need of the world. My friends, just listen to the news at 11 o'clock on the BBC in an evening. And those very verses describe the plight of our world today. Godlessness, brokenness, fallenness, unrighteousness, and I'm not talking here about outward acts, I'm talking about the sick state of our world. That is the plight of humanity. But in verse 21, he says, now, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, at one through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. In my day when I was at school, the pass mark was 50%. Is that not the case? And if you had to get 51% to have passed. But we also know those days have passed. And you can now get passes when you get 30% or 40% or when you get nothing. And while, of course, there may be problems with having an arbitrary line and accept that, of course, there are in education, that to me actually is just a simple and a very minor sign of how we live in a day where, of course, the idea that no one is righteous, no, not one, that all of us are able to be perfect, to be right, to pass, that that is propagated. It doesn't matter if you got 49 or you got nine, you still fail. And before the perfect example of Jesus Christ, none of us, however good, however 
righteous we might think we are, however keen we are on religion, however much we demonstrate that in our works, no one is perfect. There was only one man who was perfect, and that was Jesus. And before him, none of us pass. But God has demonstrated his love for us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us the righteous for the unrighteous and that's what the gospel is about but lastly that gospel has incredible power verse 16 for i'm not ashamed of the gospel paul writes because it's the power of god that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the jew and then to the gentile paul of course you that he knew that. Let me read to you. You don't need to turn. You can easily get lost, and I appreciate that when we start flicking through parts of the Bible. But let me read to you verses which, again, you'll be familiar with from Philippians, where Paul's speaking about his own life and his own situation. Let me read this again to you from Philippians 3. He says, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, i.e. in what, who they are or their status or their background or their qualifications or, or anything else, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence, I have more. Circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless, I ticked all the boxes. Spot on. Look what he goes on to say. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, fit for the bin, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, i.e. based on who, what I do or who I am, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and, part and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul knew what it was to think he was a goody two-shoes. If, if there had been, and there probably was in those days, scrolls that you could put up on your wall. You know, it used to be if you went into a doctor or a dentist, they would put up on their wall the scroll, scroll from this university or that university. That was the case as long as it was from a university that was reputable. It was from the University of Bahamas or something else, or the West Indies. You never did put that up or somewhere else because it wasn't well known. But if it was Glasgow or Edinburgh, well, there we are. You see, you're in safe hands. Well, Paul would have had a whole wall of certificates as to how good he was. And the truth is, perhaps in our own hearts, we may not have a wall in the house, but in our hearts we plastered up our goodness, our efforts, our righteousness, and it's all there, and we occasionally refer to it and make others aware of it, of who we are and what we've done. Well, my friends, that all is fit for the bin compared to the righteousness of Jesus. And the power of God is revealed in making Paul aware of that. Opening Paul's mind to that. Here was somebody who was blinded, literally, on the road to Damascus. And God turned him round. And I know this morning there's many of you sitting here in church, including many older people, who will testify to the fact that over the years, especially with humility as you've sat here in power, 
your hearts have been warmed. And you've realized that the righteousness based on being an elder or a church member or, or being a good pillar of the community or being involved in this organization or that organization or whatever else. And it's not that we're running amok doing bad things, but you've discovered that that righteousness is irrelevant compared to knowing Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. And God's power is seen in that work of turning a life round. And whether that's a dramatic thing like the road to Damascus, or whether that's a warming of hearts and a making people aware over the years. I remember one dear lady in the church, it was a guild meeting, bless them. And we were listening to a piece of music. It was you in that time. It just shows how long ago I've been here. Be still for the presence of the Lord, the Holy One. And as she heard that song, God made her aware both of her need of a saviour and the holiness and the presence of God. And she would speak of that as being the time when the light was switched on. And the amazing grace of God became real to her. That's the power of the gospel. To open eyes. To stir hearts. To draw people to faith. I know there's others sitting here this morning that were drawn to this church because they had a deep longing to be right, to make sense of life, to know what it is to have our sins forgiven, to feel at one with the Creator. And that, my friend, has not disappeared, that longing. It's just that people are looking for it in the wrong places and in the wrong way. But we can be encouraged that in Jesus Christ, that dynamite, and often we think of dynamite as a very destructive thing that brings war and strife and damage, but actually dynamite, and that's when Paul talks about the power of God. That's literally the word he's meaning. That's where we get the word dynamite from. The, the dynamite of God is revealed, a power that does that which is humanly impossible that breaks down barriers, that clears ways, that opens up a vista. That dynamite of God is what's revealed in Jesus. And that's why it's all about him. And that's why as we finish this morning, I do trust that in our own hearts we've been stirred. That like Gypsy Smith all those years ago, if somebody was to ask you, well, what's kept you going over the last 18 months of this blessed lockdown and COVID? And what's going to keep you for the next 20 years, my friend? Sorry to say that, but it's been clear this morning as we're talking about for 20 years, we're going to be burdened with the bill for this. So sorry about that for those of you who've got 20 years to go paying taxes. What's going to keep you going? It's Jesus. And the amazing wonder of who he is and of what he did. Not just for you, but for the world. For the Jews and the Greeks. For the unbelievers who are out there running about their business on a Sunday morning. For that hardest soul in our own family who doesn't seem the slightest bit interested and for the one who is speaking and sharing with us just how they're at the end of their tether. The answer? It's not the church. It's not me. It's not a set of regulations, a list of rules, of relying on how good you are, or what you can do or not do. The beginning 
and the end is Jesus. And I trust we'll never lose amazement at the wonder of what God has done. All I once held dear. Let's sing together our closing hymn. And we'll stand to sing. God, our Father, we thank you for the privilege this morning of singing. Not just within our hearts, but with our lips and voices. And you have heard us sing all our hymns, that last hymn. Knowing you, Jesus, 
There is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. And so may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship and transforming power, that dynamite power of the Holy Spirit, rest upon us and journey with us this day and forevermore. And the people of God said,